please to open your Bibles to two scriptures tonight. If you'd open them, first of all, to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and if you would put your finger there, and then go to the Old Testament book of Exodus chapter 12. It is our privilege, once again, to come to the Lord's table in one of the only two ordinances that the Lord has given to his church. Now, the Lord has given us baptism, and that is to commemorate the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And baptism is a symbolism of our identification with Christ. It's observed only one time uh, in a Christian's life, and that is at the moment or soon after his conversion. And then that is the entrance into the New Testament church. And a scriptural baptism can only be performed by a New Testament church. Uh, The only authority that has the right to baptize is one of the Lord's New Testament churches. Uh, So that is an observance that a Christian does one time in his life. But the Lord's Supper is different. This is not a one-time observance, but the Scripture says that we are to do this as a church body on a continual basis until the return of Christ. Now, the observance of the Lord's Supper uh, is a memorial of Christ's death upon the cross, that his body was broken for us and that it was his blood that was shed for the redemption of our sins. And since this is an ordinance that the Word of God says we're to do um, continually until Christ comes again, it carries with it that assurance that Jesus is coming back, that he truly is coming back to this world, and we serve a living Christ who intends fully that he will come and redeem his people, uh, final redemption and our glorification, and also to lift the curse from the earth. So we come to this ordinance of the supper tonight, and it's fitting, I think, that we begin the new year with this because uh, in coming to the Lord's table, there is just really not a better way that we can be reminded of the blood of the cross, to be reminded of that sacrifice that Christ has made for our sins. And this evening, as a preference to the observance, uh, a preface, rather, I should say, to the observance, I... I want us to look at the Old Testament connection to the Lord's Supper observance. The night that Christ instituted the Supper was at the same time as the Passover observance. Jesus told his disciples to go and secure room, and there they would celebrate the Passover. Uh, The timing of that was very precise. It really wasn't an accident that they came to the Passover time of year, and that was the same time that Jesus was to be crucified. And so he went to the cross at the very same time of the year when the Jews were celebrating their deliverance from Egypt. In fact, the scriptures tell us that Jesus was determined to go to Jerusalem. He advised his disciples that this would be the end of his earthly ministry. That final Passover would be the last one that he would observe with them. And this Passover and the the supper they observed then would be the fulfillment of a type. And in this Passover, uh, it would show that a lamb was needed for sacrifice and Christ was that once for all final sacrifice for the sins of the world. Now, if you have your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I want you to notice just one verse of Scripture, and this is verse number 7. And this is the Old Testament passage that gives us the connection of Passover uh, to the death of Christ. So stand with me, please, and we'll read this one verse of Scripture, and then we'll turn to the book of Exodus and read the passage from Exodus chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, the Apostle Paul writes, "...purge out..." Therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Now, if you'll go over to Exodus chapter 12, 
We'll begin reading here in verse number 1. Exodus 12, verse number 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of the month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two posts and on the upper doorpost of the houses, wherewith they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden it all with water, but roast with fire." his head with his legs and, his, and the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it, with your loins girded, with shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and you shall keep it a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come before you tonight, we're thankful for this observance of the Lord's Supper, for the memorial that you've given us. And Lord, we pray that as we uh, go through the message tonight, as we talk about the Lamb of God and speak of Him as the Passover Lamb, I just ask you, Lord, to open our hearts to where we see a vision of our Lord Jesus Christ dying for us. And I pray, Lord, that you would keep our minds focused upon that. Let nothing distract us as we're ready to uh, partake of this ordinance tonight. So bless your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Verse number 7 of 1 Corinthians is the connection of Christ to the Old Testament observance of Passover. In the New Testament, we know that John the Baptist declared when he saw Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb that answers to that type that was established in the Old Testament. On that Passover night, the people would take a lamb, they would kill the lamb, and they would apply its blood for protection from the death angel. Now this evening, I'd like for us to take a few minutes to talk about this Passover lamb. And I want to just speak about how it symbolized what Christ would do and how it speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. Now I want you to notice, first of all, the appointment of the lamb. In verse number 3, God said to Moses, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. 
Now, here we see that God is very specific in his instructions. The animal that is to be chosen is a lamb. There were no substitutes that could be made for this. There was no other type of animal God, would, God said that they could use. So God was very specific about this because the lamb as an animal would speak to the exact type of the Lord Jesus Christ. This was an observance, as the Word of God says, that would last throughout all the history of Israel. So they weren't to be sloppy about this. They, they couldn't be nonchalant about it. They couldn't be halfway compliant to what God said. He said, this must be a lamb. Now, Moses was given the law of God upon Mount Sinai, and when God gave him the law, it included not only the Ten Commandments, but all of the ceremonial laws and the judicial laws. And in those laws that God gave, we would notice there that there are different types of animals that were used for different sacrifices. Sometimes God said that they could take a bullock. Sometimes there, uh, an ox would be appropriate for the sacrifice. Even sometimes there were female animals that were used. I don't have time to go into the reasoning behind that tonight and that particular choice, but God would allow uh, different types of animals for the different sacrifices. And then we also notice that in the law, there were times when a substitute animal could be used. For instance, when a family was too poor that they couldn't afford a more expensive animal like a bull or a goat or a lamb, then they could substitute a pigeon or a turtle dove, and that would be, that bird would be uh, the sacrifice that they would make. And we see an example of that when Jesus was taken into the temple and he was dedicated uh, right after his birth. Mary and Joseph brought two turtle doves, and that's what they gave as a sacrifice. And that reflected the very deep poverty of Jesus' family. They couldn't afford to bring a lamb. But when it came to this Passover observance, the only acceptable animal was a lamb. And so we read here in verse number 4 that if it wasn't possible for one household to obtain a lamb, if they were too poor, if they couldn't do this, then they could join in with another family and they could go into their house and they could observe the Passover with them. So God was very specific about this. He, he said this is a type that's going to carry out throughout all of Israel's history all the way up until the time that Jesus was crucified. John the Baptist could not declare him to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world and for them to really understand what that meant unless there could only be one sacrifice. And they would relate the fact that he was a lamb to the Passover. And so God says this is the only animal that you can choose. Now the uh, choice of the lamb uh, represents the choice of the father. God was very specific in his choice of sacrifice. No one else would do No one but Jesus could be the Savior. Now, there are various reasons that we'll discuss for this, but when God chose his own son, it was, as Peter said on the day of Pentecost, it was according to the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Now, we also notice that in this appointment that God says in verse number 5 that this is a lamb that is to be without blemish. That means there, there can be no defects in the lamb. It wasn't possible for them to find a sick animal or a scrawny animal, an animal they supposed was going to die anyway. Why not use that animal and make that the sacrifice? But they weren't able to do that. They had to go and they had to search their flocks. They had to find one animal that had no visible defects. It had to be healthy and had to be the very best of the flock. And so we compare that to Jesus, and we see that he was the sinless Son of God. There was no defect that was found in Christ. There was no guile found in him. 
And so in order for a lamb to be chosen and to make sure that it was the right animal and there was no sickness in it, the Israelites were told to prepare early for the sacrifice. And so they were to choose their lamb, as the Bible says, on the tenth day of the month. And then they were to keep that animal up until the fourth day of the month. And that would be a time of testing for the animal. Then they could observe it and they could find out, is there any defect in this lamb? And so we come to Jesus as well. And for him, there was a time of testing. Everything had to be perfect with him. Now, Jesus went through that time and in three years of public ministry. And throughout that whole time, Jesus was tempted in every conceivable way. He, he lived without sin. He lived among men. He observed the wickedness of the human heart. He saw all of that went on. He saw all the vices that men lived in. He was exposed to the sins of the world. And yet not one time did Jesus ever take part in any sin that people would commit. Now, his life was perfect. And by demonstration, it was observed. Now, Jesus, the very nature of his public ministry uh, and all the miracles that he did uh, just said that people were going to be looking at him. They would observe him. They would watch what he did. And they would see, is there sin in this person? Is there something wrong with him? I mean, just the miraculous ministry of Christ drew all attention to him. But as people watched him and they saw what he did, there was never a time when Jesus committed a sin. Even when Satan came to him in his weakest human moment, when Jesus was 40 days without food, uh, Satan came to him and he tempted him, but Jesus wouldn't crack. He wouldn't give in to sin, not just because he couldn't, but because he wouldn't. And that's because Jesus was determined that he would remain that unblemished lamb. He couldn't have fulfilled the the Father's purpose if he hadn't remained sinless. And he couldn't have been our sacrifice unless he remained so. And so for his entire life, as Jesus lived, there was no sin in him. There was no one who could ever accuse him uh, justly of committing any sin. And we notice that when it came down to the time of his death, that there were no people, there was no one who could come and make a just accusation. And so when Jesus stood before one of the highest courts of the land, one that was a representative of the Roman government, their pilot said three times about Jesus, I find no fault in him. And so he was tested, he was tried, he was proven, and he was the Father's Lamb, the only one who could die for our sins. Now next we see... The age of the lamb. Verse number 5 says that the lamb must be a male of the first year. Now, let me inject here uh, just a moment uh, something here about the male. I mean, that was absolutely required. In in the scriptures, uh, God is always referred to in the masculine gender. Now, I'm not trying to advance male superiority or anything like that, but God's order must be observed. God's order is the male and then the female. Man was created first, and then there was the woman. And God is very specific about that order. Man is to be the head, and the woman is to be in subjection to the head. Now, I'll save that for another time, because that's another message. But we see here, the Bible says a one-year-old sheep. That's to be chosen. And the point of that is that at one-year-old, a sheep is considered to be in the prime of his life. That's the most vibrant time. When Jesus began his public ministry, he was in the prime of his life. He wasn't too young that he didn't have experience and he hadn't learned about life. He wasn't too old that he'd lived a full life and he was about to die anyway. But Jesus was taken in the very prime. He was active. He was busy. His ministry was was influential. It was at its height 
in the prime of his life, that's when Jesus was stricken down. Now, God didn't want a feeble lamb to be chosen, and neither did he want an immature lamb. And so he says, choose the lamb from the very best of the flock when that lamb is in its prime. And that was a picture that Jesus would be at his very strongest from man's perspective. It's when Jesus could have offered his most resistance if he had chosen to do so. But Jesus didn't resist. Isaiah says that he went to the slaughter without opening his mouth. He was obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Uh, We see in one place where Jesus says, Don't you know that I could call twelve legions of angels? And yet he suffered that indignity of the cross without complaint. Jesus' own words in John chapter 12, he said, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then there came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Would he say, save me from this hour? No, because he was there for the cross. And so his prayer to the Father was that he would, re, he would go to the cross and thereby the Father would be glorified. And the only way God, the Father, could be glorified is by the accomplishment of the eternal plan and purpose of God. Jesus was chosen before the foundation of the world to be a sacrifice for sin. That was God's plan and it was his purpose. And the only way that Jesus could glorify God in that is if he was to go to the cross exactly as God had determined for him to do. So then there is the appointment and there is the age of the Lamb. That has to be just as God prescribed. And then we see, thirdly, the availability of the Lamb. Now we notice in verse number 4 that the poor could go to another house and they could join themselves to another household and there they could uh, uh, observe the Passover. And that's to show us that there are none who are excluded. God does not leave anyone out. Christ is the Savior of both the poor and the rich. He's the Savior of the weak and the strong. As Alexander uh, played that little chorus just a moment ago, he's the Savior of the red, the yellow, the black, and white, just as the little chorus says. God declared this in Isaiah 55. He said, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. In Revelation 21, verse 6, And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Jesus said in Matthew 11, a scripture we read this morning, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. And then in John 3.16, the verse that we're all familiar with, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now all those verses you see an invitation. God has made a provision. And one day there is going to be a great swelling company that stands before the throne of God in heaven and they will proclaim, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John 2, And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
And so Jesus meant Jews and Gentiles alike from every corner of the globe, from every nation, from every tribe, every race. God has provided a lamb of sacrifice. And all those that uh, want to come to him, all they need do is repent and believe and they will be redeemed by the lamb. Now, fourthly, we see the application of the lamb. And we find this in verses 6 and 7. And ye shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening, and they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. So they were to kill the lamb, then they were to take the blood and spread it around the frame of the door. Now, if you look down in verse number 22 of the same chapter, he says, And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin, and none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. So the blood of the lamb, when it was killed, that blood was to be collected in a bowl. And then with a plant that they called hyssop, they dipped it into the bowl, and then they took the blood and they smeared it on the lintel and on the two sides of the door. And that blood was the protection from the death angel. God said to them, you apply the blood, then you go under the blood, you enter into the house and you remain in the house, and then when the death angel comes, I'll see that blood and I will pass over you. Now, of course, that's where we get the name, the Passover. The death angel would pass over them when he saw that blood was, that was on the door exactly as God has commanded. Now, we see in all of this that it was very important that they should have a lamb, uh, the type of sacrifice, the animal. It was important that it be a lamb that was without blemish. It was important that it be one that was exactly the right age. It was important that they had put it up and they had proved that the lamb was healthy. All of that was necessary, but it was to get us to this most important part of all, and that is the application of the blood. And likewise, we can look at the life of Christ and we see the marvelous birth of Jesus. That was important. The sinless life of Christ was important. His time of trial and testing was important. The proof of his divinity, that was important. All of the component parts of this had to be perfectly in order, but none of it would do any good without the most important part, and that was that Christ must be crucified. He must be killed. He has to die. He has to, even further, shed his blood. Now, that tells us that Christ could not die in an accident. It means that he couldn't have been strangled. He couldn't die from a blow to his head. He had to go to the cross. The blood has to be shed. And the blood is the most important part of this because the blood is actually the the thing that washes our sins away. The Apostle Peter said, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from the vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And need I remind you that in many churches today that they don't talk about the blood of Christ anymore. The blood's not important to them. They say that it's not necessary. Even in many hymn books today, they remove uh, references to the blood because they're afraid that that would be offensive to someone. But the blood of Jesus Christ is absolutely necessary. Without that blood, we can't be saved. 
Revelation 1 verse 5, in the very beginning of the revelation of Christ, it says, Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And so there's nothing that works without the blood. There is no cleansing. There is no washing. The defilement of sin is still upon us, if not for the blood of Christ. And so the people had to have the faith to apply that blood. They had to do it exactly as God said. And so they put it on the door, and then they went into the house, and when they did, they were safe and secure, and they were protected by the blood. Now, friends, that's why we have the cup in the Lord's Supper. The juice that's in the cup, that's symbolic of the blood of Christ poured out on Calvary. The Apostle Paul wrote about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in his account of the supper. He says, And after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. And so there it is. That is the application of the Lord's blood. Christ the Lamb of God, shed his blood on the cross. And by faith in that blood, in the sacrifice of Christ, God washes us from our sins. Christ comes into our heart and we're cleansed from sin and then we're protected from God's wrath. So that's the picture that we see in Passover. It's why the timing of it was so precise. Christ, the Passover lamb, is sacrificed for us because he answers exactly to that centuries-old type that was given in the Old Testament just before the Exodus. And so the firstborn was protected by the blood, and everyone that is born of the Spirit of God is likewise protected by the blood of Jesus Christ. So we see the appointment and the age and the availability of the Lamb, the application of the blood of the Lamb. All of that has to be exactly as God prescribes. There are no steps that can be left out here. The supper declares what God has done for us by giving a perfect Lamb in the season of Passover. But now I want to give you just one more before we observe the supper tonight. Number five is the assessment of the Lamb. Now, let's go back to verses 12 and 13 once again. It says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. I want you to listen to the last part again. He says, I will pass over you. Now, you might want to underline the word you. I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Now, there we see that God is very specific once again. He says, this is for you. I'm going to pass over you. The plague shall not be upon you. It will not destroy you. And so there's a very specific design in the sacrifice. It's for a particular people. There is no escape for anyone who does not have that blood applied. Now, one day, God is going to make a grand assessment of every person. And that's when Jesus, the Lamb of God, will sit on a throne of judgment. 
And listen to these very important words that Jesus says in John chapter 5. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth, they that have done good under the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation." The Word of God tells us that there is a time of judgment that is coming. And this is when Jesus, who is the meek and gentle Lamb of God that went to the cross, will no longer be passive and meek and gentle. Now, he still possesses all of those characteristics for everyone who has believed in him. But for those who are not under the blood... The Bible tells us that Jesus will have eyes that are like a flame of fire. He has a penetrating gaze that will burn through the exterior of every person. There will not be a single sin hidden from his view. And so he's going to look straight into the heart. And if the blood has not been applied, if he doesn't see that perfect, life-giving, cleansing blood, if it's not there, he will not pass over. He stops and he assesses and then he executes righteous judgment. Now, the Scripture says that everything that defiles will be cast into the lake of fire that burns forever and forever. That's a very solemn warning to all of us that we must know Christ as Savior. Now, many people would like to do away with hell. They'd like to strike it from the Bible and take away the wrath of God. But that's as sure in the Word of God as everything else that we read. If there is an eternal heaven, there must be an eternal hell The same words are used to describe both. Now, we come to a very solemn moment when we observe the supper. The bread and the cup represent the body and the blood of the Lamb of God, of Jesus Christ. This is the one sacrifice for his people. And so there is no one who would dare touch the cup and the blood who hasn't, in a deliberate act of repentance and faith, had the blood of Jesus Christ applied to his heart. And what I'm telling you is that this supper is for believers. And I might also add that it's for obedient believers. It's for those who have received Christ as their Savior and those who have declared their identification with Him. That identification means that a person must be baptized in a New Testament church. They have to be joined to the local church body. And as specific as the blood was applied to an individual house, that is how specific this observance is to those who may partake. Now, the Lord's Supper is a preaching ordinance, and this is why we have people come to observe it. It's why I preach the message tonight. And as we observe the Lord's Supper, the actual preaching of the message goes on because there we see that the bread is broken, and that is a demonstration of how Christ's body was broken. We see juice that is poured into cups, and that shows us that Christ's blood was poured out. And then we see the elements ingested, And that shows that by faith we have received the application of the perfect life of Christ as our obedience and the application of his blood as our cleansing and our protection from sin. And so in the ordinance, when we partake of this tonight, we are doing what John the Baptist did. 
We are also saying, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. All of it's pictured right here in the observance of the Lord's Supper. Paul says, For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight, and we are reminded of the life and the death of Christ, reminded of the sacrifice that was made. And, Lord, we are so thankful that Jesus was willing to come into this world and to give himself as the Lamb of God, a sacrifice for our sins. Lord, I pray that you would purge us of our sins. I pray that you would help each of us to examine our hearts, help us not to eat unworthily with sin upon our hearts, but all sin might be confessed before we come to partake of this supper tonight. So, Lord, we pray that you might bless as we observe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.